Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Good morning, good morning. Great to be here with you today. Thank you for braving the cold this morning. The frozen chosen has a whole different meaning today. Uh, Glad you're here with us. Glad for all of you that are with us online, uh, toasty with your hot chocolate and cocoa and all that kind of stuff. We've got a great word for you, and we're glad that you're a part of this uh, service today. I want to pray, and we're going to jump right into this message. I have a very strong sense of urgency on the message today. I believe that we're entering into a season uh, that is very specific uh, in the timeline of God. I believe that the Lord is coming soon. I believe the Lord is coming soon. Come on, will you please come soon, Jesus? Please come soon. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you release your word today to your people? No one is interested in opinions of man. We've got opinions everywhere we look, everywhere we turn. Opinions of man. Father, we want to hear your voice. We want to feel your spirit. We want to know your presence. God, would you release your truth to us? today. Would you release your word to us today? Would you strengthen your people? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Father, protect us. Protect your children. Let your hands stretch forth and heal. Father, would you release a season of miracles upon your people? Would you release a season of supernatural presence, Father, that in your presence there's fullness of joy, Supernatural healings, supernatural restoration, supernatural uh, rejoining together of families, supernatural renewal inside of the spiritual lives of your people. Father, would you set us on fire brand new? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we give you praise and glory and honor. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. Oh, I feel his presence so strongly today. Do you? Yeah. He's with us. He's with us. Today we start a brand new series called As for Me and My House. As for Me and My House. I shared earlier in the season, as I typically do in early September, I, I, I have a habit of studying out the actual Jewish year. What year is it on the Jewish calendar? We, we as Americans and as Western folk, we use a Gregorian, a, a Roman calendar. And that's how we keep track of time and days and such. But the Jews have a completely different calendar. In the Jewish calendar, it's not the year 2022. In the Jewish calendar, it's the year 5782. 5,782 Years. That is the exact measurement, the exact number of years as they've tracked every single generation from Adam and Eve all the way through until today. The complete biblical record of human experience and human existence is 5,782 years old. And the year starts over in September. Rosh Hashanah, 
the head of the year is the beginning of the Jewish New Year. So we've already been in this year for a couple of months, even though now we as Americans are celebrating a brand new year, and it is a brand new year, but it's been a new year, a new season for God and for God's people for a few months now. So in the Jewish uh, calendar, every letter is a number and every number is a picture. It's a word. The year makes a sentence. So we have the number five. Five is the symbol for a door. The, the Jewish language is a hieroglyphic language, a pictographic language. And five is the picture for the door. And it's the word hey. Hey. Like, hey, look, there's an opportunity. Hey, check it out. Something's going on. That's what this five symbolizes. Now, remember, the Bible says that six is the number of man and 6,000 years is the timeline of the existence of man. If you're going off of that, guys, we're getting close to the end. 5,782, we're moving toward the sixth millennia. Hey, there's an open door. The second number, seven, is the letter Zayin, and it's the pictograph of a sword with the hilt up and the tip down. I saw an angel one time in my life. It's incredible. I was sitting in my daughter's room holding her. She was crying. She wouldn't stop crying, and I was at my wit's end. She had cancer. And I remember closing my eyes and seeing these swirling beings, dark beings swirling in the room, and I was praying and crying out, and she was, she was crying so loud. And I was asking God to do something to, to help her, to comfort her, praying out to him. And all of a sudden, the swirling beings, my eyes were closed. When I opened my eyes, I couldn't see any of that. When I closed my eyes, I could see in the spirit things that were happening inside of the space. Didn't plan on telling this story. It's kind of personal. And I remember specifically when that stopped, the swirling stopped, I turned to my right just with my eyes closed. I looked to the right like this with my eyes closed. And I saw clear as day an angel, it was a 12-foot ceiling, the angel was standing holding a sword, the hilt up, the tip down, and the top of the sword was at the 12-foot ceiling. There was another four or five or six feet, I don't know, of this angel above the roof line that I could not see. But he was standing with that position, the sword tipped down, Zane. And I noticed in that moment with my eyes closed, I opened my eyes, couldn't see anything, closed my eyes, could see him clear as day. Never had this experience before. And it was in that moment that I noticed that my daughter, O'Neill, had stopped crying. And I instantly looked down at her, and with her eyes wide open, she was staring up into the corner where I was seeing the angel. God's authority entered that room. This is a season, five is a season of opportunity. Seven is a representation of God's supernatural authority from heaven to earth. The next number, eight, is what's called a chet. It's the hieroglyph of a fence or a wall that would surround a property. It represents protection. So we have, look, there's an opportunity for supernatural authority, for protection. And the number two is the bet 
In the alpha, bet, Aleph is the first letter. Bet is the second letter. Bet is the symbol for a house. It's also, it's also the number that interestingly enough represents the Messiah. The father, Aleph, is first. Bet, the son, is second. This is a symbol for a spiritual opportunity for divine authority from heaven to protect the house, specifically the house of God, but also your house of God. If you haven't noticed, God's house and your house have been under attack. We're a couple months away, just a few weeks away from the anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. Just 15 days. It's over 700 days we're going on. Just 15 days. The house of God closed in America for the first time. Easter, not allowed to be celebrated in America for the first time. Evil powers at work. If you think that the world is led and run by wonderful God-fearing people, might have gone to Oklahoma, scored something special to make incense out of over the holidays. Amen, all right. (laughs) Some people are into that in Texas. Come on, guys, it's an evil world. It's always been an evil world. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He's been given a season of authority in this earth, and he's making the most of it. Now, we understand that Jesus is ultimately in control, and Satan is a pawn in his hand. And we win. But if you think that the elite, powerful, wealthy, class that runs the world is for Christ, you're sadly mistaken. There has always been an anti-Christ movement in the world. All through your Bible, all through human history, an anti-Christ movement. In the church, the organized church, and the people of the church are the target of this evil. But this is a year on God's calendar for the opportunity for supernatural authority to protect the house. As for me and my house. Uh, Growing up to my parents, Ken and Jean Scrivener, I have two of the most wonderful parents. I got to go see them uh, for a couple days after Christmas in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. We call it Broken Arrow. Where I grew up, Broken Arrow, and uh, got to spend some time. They're 83 years old, and um, I loved spending time. Uh, I grew up in a godly home. I have incredible parents. I have a very rich and deep spiritual uh, lineage and heritage that goes back generations, generation after generation of people that served the Lord, that pastored churches, that, that led spiritual movements, that were part of huge and incredible things. And my parents raised me to serve the Lord. 
The Bible is very clear. It says train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. When they're grown, they will find that path. It's important that we understand. The greatest privilege we have as human beings is the privilege of raising up a next generation. Now, you can be a part of that as a natural parent, or you can be a part of that as a spiritual parent that helps uh, other part, parties inside of the next and up-and-coming generation. But it's, it's a powerful and a wonderful opportunity to operate inside of a parental role. My dad, Ken, is always, has always been very handy, and, and he was a woodworker. It is a woodworker. He carves, and he's a part of a carving club in Tulsa, and he calls himself the, the, the kid of the group because a bunch of the other members are in their 90s, and they're 90-year-olds with sharp knives. That's always a great decision. Um, but my, my dad is the kid, and, and he hangs out and, and carves and all of that. And I remember growing up, he had the whole garage. He had all of these saws, band saws and, and table saws, and all. I mean, just tons of stuff. He was always making sawdust out there and, and, and creating really cool things and he would carve every kid in the neighborhood he would carve their name and he it would and every single kid and he would give it as gifts for birthdays and things like that and our, our neighborhood in Broken Arrow was, was a really tight knit group and, and all the kids were close and we all grew up together you know from kindergarten all the way up and every one of them had their name carved in wood from my dad my dad also carved signs that he put up in the house and I remember two specific signs that my dad had carved, and I don't think he really could ever comprehend what me seeing these statements did to affect my life. But one of the signs that I saw every single day before I would leave through the kitchen door out to run to catch the bus or jump on my bike to ride to the swimming pool or, or, or run out to go hang out and play flashlight tag with my buddies or whatever, the last thing I would see was a sign I didn't realize, I thought my dad was just so wise, but it was a, it was a quote by a former president, Theodore Roosevelt, that said, do what you can, where you are, with what you have. I saw it every day of my life, over and over and over and over and over and over. Do what you can, where you are, with what you have. See, that statement takes away every excuse. You're always somewhere. There's always something you can do and you always have something. You might be in a 400 square foot apartment and all you have is ramen. You can make some ramen, by golly. Come on, have anybody here ever lived off of ramen? Oh my gosh. It's still such a guilty pleasure. I love ramen so much. I can make it good too now. I, 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 don't, I can put extra stuff in it. Do what you can where you are with what you have. The second sign that I saw every single day of my life was a quote from a biblical character, Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' replacement. The one that God said to be strong and very courageous. For as I have been with Moses, so I will be with you. Sign said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See that? 
that statement um, took away some choices for me. If I was going to live in Ken Scrivener's house, I was going to serve the Lord. I went to church every Sunday. It's not an option. Tired? Wake up, go to church. Sick? Good. Go to church, get prayed for, get healed. <laughs> Didn't matter, you're going to church. Wednesdays, going to church. Two services, three services on Sunday, you're going to church. Youth group, you're going. Youth camp, you're going. No options. You live in my house. Oh, I'm shocked at parents, godly parents, to give options. As if your tweener knows anything. How much did you know at 17, really? See, it was, it was 18 for me when I finally realized that my dad was wise. You know what happened? I stopped talking back. I learned a trick because I had a little bit of an attitude. I'm sure you didn't notice. And I would argue I had to have the last word. I, I, was, I, was, I was a stubborn teenager, and I would argue and argue and argue. And, and I learned a trick that if I would just shut up and say, yes, sir, he'd stop talking. <laughs> at, first it, at first, it was just... It was just psychological warfare. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're right, sir. Yes, sir. You'd shut up. Door would close. I mean, just, I'm not, I didn't mean any of it. But what happened is when I shut up, I actually started to hear. And it wasn't long that I began to realize my dad's, a, my dad's a pretty smart guy. He actually knows a whole lot. And it took me shutting up with a bad attitude to actually learn how to hear my dad. And I began to develop a good attitude. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if some people that always have to have the last word shut up and honor their spouse. Both ways. It goes both ways. I wonder what God could do in your heart. You would choose to be righteous instead of right all the time. It's just bonus material. As for me and my house, We'll serve the Lord. Come on, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My kids don't have a choice. They're, they're, they're going to they're gonna grow up and they're going to move out. But as long as they're in my house, they're going to honor the Lord. They're going to serve the Lord. My kids go to private school. They have Bible class every, every day. And that's the only grade that matters as a pastor's kid. You can't fail Bible as a pastor's kid. For crying out loud, don't embarrass me in front of everyone at your school. You're a pastor. Math. Forget about it. Bible class, you better get an A. No, 89, you better get that grade up. A's in Bible class. <laughs> you think I'm joking. <laughs> C in physics, oh, so fun. Get that Bible grade up. I'm gonna take you to the Bible, Joshua chapter 24, and I wanna start with a little backstory because our story in 
Joshua 24 starts in a city called Shechem. You may be familiar with that name. You may not be familiar with that name, but it was a city that was named after an evil person, Shechem. Shechem was the man who when Abraham, I'm sorry, not Abraham, when Jacob moved his family into the promised land, and, and, or was living in the land, and he had his 12 sons who would become the 12 nations of Israel. And he was staying near this city called Shechem that was governed by a prince. And the city was named after him. And this prince, Shechem, saw Jacob's daughter, Dinah, and decided that he would take her against her will. And he raped her. But then after, he fell in love with her. And, and, and this, is, this is the biblical story. And he, he began to try to pursue her and win her love, even though he'd already defiled her and degraded her and disgraced her. And when Jacob found out, he was furious. But he was also scared. Because he knew that some of his sons were violent men. And he was afraid of what his sons might do in this land where they were one family surrounded by people groups. And sure enough, when his sons found out, they were furious. And as the story goes, Shechem convinced his father to go and negotiate that he was willing to do anything to marry this beautiful daughter of Israel. And so two sons... Simeon and Levi, interestingly enough, Levi, this is wild, is the father of the Levitical priesthood. All priests come through Levi. So he was the religious one, the lineage. But Simeon and Levi concoct a plan. Okay, we'll give you our, daughter, our, our sister. You can intermarry with us and we'll intermarry with you. But first, you have to recognize that you all are disgusting to us because we're Jews and we're clean and we're circumcised and you are not. So if all of you grown men will go and be circumcised and make yourself clean, then we will accept you and we'll intermarry with you and we'll align our families. Just go and obey the Lord and separate yourself and become circumcised. If you don't know what circumcision is, you can ask someone to describe that to you at a later date. I won't go into it here. But three days after, every single man, now that's a, man, that's, that's a serious desire. As a grown man, to willingly say, I'm going to have surgical procedures on certain parts because I want to be in a relationship. That's a serious commitment. This dude was in love. He was wicked, but he was in love. So much so he convinced his entire city to go along with it. And three days later, while they were recovering from surgery, Simeon and Levi sneak into their village at night and murder every single one of the men. All of them. And the rest of the brothers came in and helped, and they plundered the entire city, took all of the wealth, took all of the women and children, made them, took all of the cattle, took all of it, and literally enslaved the entire. This is a stain on the nation of Israel 
Shechem. But it was a place of decision. It, it was a place of what's right and what's wrong. And even though the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, made a very harsh and evil, revengeful decision that later brought a curse upon them, by the way, when, when Israel... Jacob and Israel are the same people. Jacob, God changed his name to Israel after he struggled and wrestled with God all night. His name became Israel, and all his 12, uh, his 12 sons had, had tribes uh, that were formed through their lineage. And when Israel blessed his children, he stopped and cursed the ones that murdered at Shechem. So the story that we're looking at today, we come into, and it's there in the city because the very stark memory, the stain on Shechem, was something that God wanted to put into the picture in the background of the story. Joshua was the one. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. God took Moses because he didn't fully obey him and he turned it over to Joshua and Joshua was the one that led the armies, that led the campaigns, that they went in and in Joshua 24, it's at the end of Joshua's life, they have fully taken the land, uh, the promised land. They now have all, and, and Joshua is, a, is a, a, assigning the different territories, each tribe, uh, Dan, you get this place and Nathalie, you get this place and Levi, you, this is what your inheritance and all, every, every different one of the tribes were given a territory that was their inheritance. And the very last thing that Joshua did before he died was bring all of the nation of Israel together to this place called Shechem, a place that was tainted with a memory of disobedience, tainted with a memory of taking matters into their own hands, of being their own protectors, being their own defenders, being their own vengeance. Verse 14, he says, Now... Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua draws a line in the sand. Now, interesting to me that here we are years later, 40 years after exiting from Egypt, now years later after conquering this entire land, killing all of the tribes that lived there and taking possession of it for God. And he's addressing the people saying, I know you still have idols. I know you still have the idols that your parents and your grandparents worshipped in Egypt. I know you still have these defilements. And it's time for you to make a decision. Are you going to serve the one true God or not? And the people responded in verse 16. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve our and serve other gods. 
They went on for a little bit about how they honored God and gave God all the credit for rescuing them. And in verse 19, watch this. I don't know if this is Joshua's uh, reverse psychology or if he's giving them a specific warning because they're standing at Shechem, a place of curse. And he's putting before them what God had declared, I put before you today life and death, blessing and curse. And I implore you, Choose life. Choose blessing. The Bible says that inside of your mouth contain the power of life and death, your tongue. Blessing and curse. You can create life or you can create death with what comes out of your mouth. God made you in his image. Forming you to his likeness. Verse 19, Joshua says, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witness against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away your foreign gods that are among you and yield your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them the decrees and laws of the Lord. This is a wild story of severe and serious commitment to God. I believe that we are entering, guys, if you think it's going to get lighter and lighter in this world, you are mistaken. It will get darker and darker in this world that we live in. And the light of Jesus will shine brighter and brighter. The persecution against God's people in the church will not grow weaker. It will only grow stronger. And we as God's children are going to have to decide, do we serve him? Or do we serve other gods? What other gods, Joel? False gods, idolatrous gods. Listen, just because we, we don't have the typical idolatrous symbols that are in the form of different beasts or animals or whatever. When I was in India, I saw idol after I'm, thousands of idols. They have literally hundreds of millions of gods that they worship. Hundreds of millions of gods. They even have idols in front of the Catholic churches. A lot of the churches have idols. They've mixed together the religions. Just because in America we don't see idols like that doesn't mean we don't have idols. Money can be an idol. In fact, money is the one that Jesus said, you can't serve both God and money. He didn't say you can't serve both God and Satan. It's not God versus Satan. Satan's defeated. It's God versus money. That's why it's important to put God first in your finances. That's why it's important to be a tither. That's why it's important to make sure that God is the Lord of your, of your wallet and of your bank account. Because it's a competition not between God and the devil. The devil's already defeated. 
But money is one of the number one tools he uses to deceive and entrap people. So be a tither. Pass that test. There's lots of opportunities for idol worship. Your hobbies can become idols. Your children, relationships, ambitions, anything that takes the attention, the affection, the affirmation away from God and focuses it on something else can become an idol. Doesn't mean that any of those things are evil. But there's a reason that Abraham had to take his only son Isaac up and be willing to sacrifice him on the altar. Because a child, a promise, can become an idol. And God has to be first, even over the things that God has given us. Oh, Americans are very idolatrous. It just looks different. Looks different. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God is the only true source. Oh, we look to a lot of things as sources. We, we, we look to our, 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 our devices to be sources. Sources for the news, sources for knowledge. We look to our government. We look to relationships. Oh, so many times we're, we're seeking somewhere else what only God can give. Seeking for satisfaction somewhere else that only God can fill. God's the only true source. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's one. It's one. It's only one. There's only one way. There's only one way to heaven. Guys, that's what's so offensive about us Christians. That's what's so offensive, that there's one way. Not because we think or we say there's one way, because Jesus said there's one way. As Christians, you have to stand for the one way. You don't have to understand, but you have to stand. Look, I, I, I've seen God do unbelievable miracles, saving people that seemed unsavable. And oftentimes he would do it when it seemed like all hope was lost. I've told the story multiple times of a friend of mine's father, one of our band members' grandfather, that didn't believe in God, thought God was for weak people. He didn't need it, he was too intelligent. But in his old age, he got sick, found himself in a coma, couldn't speak for 30 days, very articulate, highly educated, professional lecturer and teacher. Now, because of sickness, is silent and cannot speak for 30 days, slips into a coma, family gathers around him, 
They're saying goodbye. He wakes up from the coma, takes a breath, and speaks his first words in over a month. And his first words were, I have been such a fool. And then begins to describe how Jesus had come to him in his coma, revealed himself to him as Lord and Savior. He got saved in his coma, wakes up, preaches Jesus for 30 minutes, closes his mouth, falls back asleep, and goes to heaven. Don't tell me God's not good. Don't tell me God's not able. We have missionaries that come from Syria and Iraq and Turkey and places where child soldiers are being, uh, being put into camps and being rescued out of camps. We're working with people uh, in different parts of the world, in the Muslim world, where it's illegal to talk about Jesus. But, but soldiers, Taliban soldiers, are having revelations of a savior and putting their faith in a savior that they don't know his name, but they put their faith in him. And when they come into the camps, these missionaries are beginning to tell them about Jesus, and they're saying, yes, we know him. He showed himself to us. We gave our lives to him. We just didn't know his name. Don't tell me God is not able to save. Don't tell me he's not able to reach the entire world. He's doing it right now. Right now. It's one way. We don't back down from that. We don't apologize for that. Next week, I'm going to dive into it, some of the teachings of Paul in the book of Romans about how to stand inside of an evil world with depraved minds. Guys, we got to get unplugged from the, our, our mainstream news. Owned by wicked, wicked, wicked people. Every single mainstream news outlet in America, 36 of them, all owned by five individuals. They control everything that you get to hear. Wicked people. Atheistic people. People with depraved mindsets and depraved lifestyles, and we gobble up their propaganda. And they are anti-Christ. Well, Joel, how do you, how do you know? <laughs> Anti-Christ. Wicked people. Have you not paid attention to any of the reckoning of the horrifically disgusting sexual scandals that are going on in some of our mainstream people that have been in your living room on your TVs and they're wicked people being canceled now because of how wicked they have been with sex scandals and pedophilia and all kinds of stuff. There's a reckoning coming against the evil. But we gotta quit listening to it. I dreamed this message earlier in the week. And in my dream, I was on a rant. I was standing up here and I was ranting. I was railing. I was angry. I was just livid. I was, I was lighting it up. And I knew that wasn't the best way to come across on a Sunday morning. So I went and prayed about it and asked the Lord to speak to me, and he did. And I'm going to read to you what he said to me. He said this to me. I wrote it in my journal on the 29th of December, 2021. The Lord said, I am your source. I am your truth. I am your light and your life. 
I give you breath. I raise the sun and the moon. I keep you safe. I am your protection. I am your compass and your guide. I am your true north. My people are not looking to me for the truth. They're looking to liars and charlatans, scammers and profiteers. Tell them to stop and turn to me and I will be their light. I will illuminate their lives. I will give them truth. Their government is not their source or their light. Neither is their news channel of choice. Neither is their employer. I alone am their source. Tell them, this is important, tell them not to give up territory. Tell them not to back down. If they are terminated, I will defend them and I will provide for them. But tell them not to quit, not to leave their post, to hold their positions and lovingly shine my light and share my truth. My light will prevail. My truth will ring clear. They may be wrongfully terminated, but I will be their defender and I will build my case for them. I will provide and I will be their light and life. No matter how it ends, they will know that they stood for me and my truth instead of bowing down to a lie and serving another master. My people are to live in faith, not fear. Arise, my people. Shake off your slumber. Shake off those chains. Shake off the scales and deception from your eyes and be my light. Do you serve me or not? Am I your God or not? Am I your truth or not? Am I your source or not? I am raising up defenders of my truth. I will eradicate darkness. I will give my true life. I will give my wisdom to any who ask in faith. I am your source. I am your light and your life. We'll print that and make it available for you. Your house, his house. Your house, his house. Joel, I'm 12. I don't have a house. Your life is his house. He lives in you. He lives in you. You are his house. Is your house his house? The words of Joshua choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's time for the church to arise, time for the church to shine. Time for the church to be bold. Church cannot bow down. We cannot be silent. We cannot be compromised. We are the only ones. We are the only ones on the whole planet that have access 
to the actual truth. The truth is a person. His name is Jesus. He's the God and the creator of all things. There's only one truth. You don't get to live your truth and make up your own truth. There's only one truth. His name is Jesus. He's calling us to shine. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to go back into worship with, with another song. And I just want to give you the opportunity. Uh, this is what I feel. I feel that there may be something in your life that you need to lay down. I think it's a perfect time for us to start our fast starting tomorrow. But I feel like there's a, there may be something that you need to lay down. Could be something you're laying down during this fast. Could be something you're laying down completely. I don't know what it is. I just feel this. And as we go back into worship, I, personally, I'm going to come to the altar and I'm going to lay something down at the altar. And if anybody wants to join me, come join me. My prayer team can pray for people. But I just feel like symbolically, and this is, this is, look, this is for me. It might not be for you, but this is for me. I'm going to lay something at the altar today. Because I don't want anything in my life to be idolatrous. I don't want anything in my life to take his place. I don't have any, anything from the past that's going to inhibit me from moving into the future that he has. This is God's divine year for protection for your house, for his house. Father, in the name of Jesus, if you would all just stand with me. And if you would just open your, open your hands up to heaven. Father, as we stand before you in your presence, God, see our faith and respond. Release your wisdom. Release your light. Release your life. You want to dedicate yourself to God today. Pray this with me. Say, Father, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I choose this day who I will serve. It's you. I lay everything else down. I give everything else to you. I don't want any idols in my life. So I bring them to the altar today. And I lay them down before you. I choose today. Jesus, you are my Lord. And I will serve you. Amen. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.